everybody. This is Shingo, the owner and operator of Hard Gallery here in Detroit, Michigan. This is episode 12 of season one of Hard Conversations podcast. Today's guest is a real life chef who has cooked one of the best, if not the best thing I've ever eaten. He may have eaten his food at Roast, Prime and Proper, his backyard, various locations, eating his salmon, bagels, etc. He is one half of Pariah, Chef John, John Yelenik, aka Cordelli on Instagram. Thanks for coming on the show. What's going on? Nice to be here. Yeah. Um, where did you come up with the name Cordelli? Um, <laughs> so I honestly don't know. I just know that I was like, I want something that's like one word and I don't <laughs> want to like, you know, put a period or put like an underscore or anything. Yeah. And, and so like industry people know about like the court deli container, mm-hmm. you know, the, the like plastic round container yeah and you're like in the middle of a shift and you like get lightheaded and you're like i haven't drank water in four hours and you go and slam two of those in the back so i'm just like well that's like people people who know will know yeah and then a you know an unintended side effect is people who don't know will be asking like friends of mine like hey like where's the court deli at when are they open (laughs) that kind of thing and it's like yeah yeah i'm a person so yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've worked at restaurants and I've seen I've seen those. I just never knew what they were called. Yeah, just court court containers or, you know, deli containers. Yeah, I've definitely drank like cherry coke out of those things mm-hmm. cuz it's like a big it's like a big gulp size with a lid. They're big, yeah. Um Yeah. That's so funny. Um So uh where did you where did you grow up? Where are you from? Um so I it's I kind of grew up a couple different places. Um, my parents are from from basically Dearborn, Detroit border area. Cool. Um, and then when when they found out they were having me, they moved like up north. Wow. Um, and then I I lived there till I was like six or seven, um, like like in the middle of nowhere, like West Branch. If anybody knows where that is, that's where the um, the outlet mall. Yeah, there's a mall there. And then the um, smiley face uh, water the, tower. The smiley water tower. Yeah, exit 212 on I-75. So, you know, down here, we're like in the 50s. So we're talking like a good two and a half hour drive. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's where I lived until until then. And my parents split up and my mom moved back down here. Um, and I went to high school uh, about an hour west of here. And then right after that, I was like, going to college like community college between ann arbor lansing for audio engineering stuff like that video production and and just doing like some photography work like on the side to to make money and that wasn't working out so i was like you know cooking had always been a thing that i had done and done with family and it was a big part of just like you know family tradition stuff like that and Mm -hmm. uh so i mean i knew how to cook food and i was like well jobs at restaurants seem like a steady way to make a little bit of money to pay for school. So yeah. I just started doing that and I liked it <laughs> and I never really, uh, considered going back to the other stuff after that. So, uh-huh. um, what got you interested in audio engineering? Um, yeah, so I was all as a kid, like just kind of obsessed 
uh, with, with all things like music. Mm-hmm. Um, like I was in band in like high school all the way, like wow. from middle school, like sixth grade, all the way until I graduated. And after like, I would, I would teach lessons and this and that, like I was like fully into it. And, mm-hmm. um, out of high school, like I had gotten accepted to the Berkeley college of music in Boston. And cool. I was like looking at what that was going to cost. And I was like, I can't like, there's no way, like, I can't, like, you know, I, I didn't come from anywhere that, you know, there was like college savings that I could like rely on that, that my parents had or anything like that. So, mm-hmm. um, I just, I like looked at the number and got like physically nauseous when I thought about like the debt involved. And, yeah. uh, so I just figured that the audio engineering route at like a community college would be a way to get my feet in that water and also not, you know, go into debt just to, walk away from a college program with a degree saying that like I learned how to play an instrument a little bit better than I already Mm. could you know so what did you play um I played a couple of different sizes of saxophone in actual school um oh wow but then I was in like bands and stuff playing either guitar bass drums like any of that stuff um depending on like the crowd I was I was in it with so Uh uh-huh um, that was, that was my pre, you know, pre 20 year old life though. So, and then once I like got into my twenties, I was like, just hanging out with a bunch of like restaurant shitheads and <laughs> getting yeah. into that. So do you still play music and stuff? I do. Yeah. I just kind of like, will play guitar and stuff like that. Just casually for relaxation leisure purposes meditation Um, i haven't been like super serious into it though which is a bummer because i like you know i wish i had more time to focus on it more but uh sometime when i'm not you know focused on opening opening stuff yeah well i feel like you got the the skills so it's just a matter of like just tapping into it whenever yeah it's finding the time and finding the like energy to to focus yeah on that so a lot of the time i just i just put it off on them and then i'm like man i had time to do this today and yeah i mean you work pretty hard so i feel like you need to chill whenever you can and don't feel too too much pressure i'm feeling it right now but uh there's always there's always time later so yeah um so you said you kind of grew up with food around the house um what are some like stand stand out points or like influences you had growing up um some really some of like my best food related memories um either come come from kind of like growing up uh like on my dad's side because my my parents separated that's why i ended up ended up moving down here to begin with Mm -hmm. um on my dad's side when i would be visiting him we you know he was big like hunting and fishing kind of thing. So doing stuff like that and just like being kind of like on camping trips for that sort of thing. And just like in the wild, like that was always like just a great time for me. Like, especially as a kid, as I got older, I like didn't appreciate it as much. And then obviously now I'm like kind of getting back into like, man, I really had it pretty sweet when that was Mm -hmm. a thing that I could do every weekend. And then, um, also like on my mom's side, my, my uncle was a, was a chef like pre-college and stuff like that at a place in Dearborn. And, um, 
he just always was cooking up some crazy stuff that I had never heard of. Like, you know, especially around the holidays, like we would go over to his house and he'd be making, you know, like polenta and some kind of tomato stew with like poached cod or something like that. And I'm just like, wow, this guy is crazy. I've never heard of this stuff. Uh Um, But like he would always give everybody like a station and like, here, you're cutting the vegetables for this thing. You're making this, like you're making this stuff and just like set everyone up with what they were making for the dinner. And Mm -hmm. like, that was my kind of like first experience of like, you know, having somebody give me something like a task and I don't even know what it's going to be for, but like, I just have to like cut this one thing up or this or that. So he was almost like playing restaurant in his kitchen and none Mm -hmm. of us really knew what was going on. Um, but I just like, that was always the the biggest thing I looked forward to around the holidays. Like, and it was just always centered around the meal. And, uh, you know, as I, as I like get older now, I'm like, you know, I want to like go back to that. And that's like the kind of tradition I hope to like have with family as I get older too. Yeah. Cause it's like, it's important. And it's, it's, it's something that everybody can relate to in one way or another. And everyone can just kind of be in the moment for that time. Sure. And I think so. like sometimes like I grew up cooking in the house with the family and stuff and like my grandma and everything. And like, it's kind of, I feel bad for the people who don't grow up with that, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like it's better yeah. or worse, but it's just like, you just kind of look at food and like family experiences differently, you know, like it's Definitely. such a, such a cool part of, my childhood um and like I always look back and like like you said like that's something I want to like pass on and like create new traditions you know Mm -hmm. I think that's so fun yeah um what was the first dish that you remember making as a kid um scrambled eggs (laughs) (laughs) um scrambled eggs for sure and there's scrambled eggs will always be there for you um in some form Uh because they're simultaneously like one of the first things I feel like kids can cook for themselves, but also like just being someone who got into the like world of restaurants and like, um, cooking for people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's something that, that is always going to be nostalgic to everybody for that reason when you just eat a bite of scrambled eggs. (laughs) But as a cook, um, you develop very strong opinions about, egg cookery (laughs) um as you like get more serious about it and so like you know it's it's just like one of those things of like you know the you imagine like the classic like french tall chef hat thing and it's like you know this is your audition cook me an omelet like if you you fuck up this omelet like you can't cook in my restaurant that kind of thing Mm -hmm. so it's just you know it's funny that like it's something that always brings people back though at the same time as uh you know guys who like take themselves too seriously what is like the uh, stereotype? What is like the first scrambled egg you made versus like the 2021 scrambled egg version look like? They're the same. <laughs> um, there was some variance there, you know, that's like getting from just like scrambled eggs to then like, you know, turning it into like an omelet every time or this and that. And, then, and now it's just like, no like two eggs in a bowl a little bit of salt and a little bit of milk and like in a pan medium heat and just like fluffy curds of scrambled eggs yeah 
not quite like diner scrambled eggs because I don't mm-hmm. like them to be brown. A little dry. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but just like <laughs> they're the same. The scrambled eggs I make now when I'm not thinking about it are the same scrambled eggs that I was making when I was eight. Yeah. When did you start putting milk in your scrambled eggs or did you put scrambled or milk in it from the beginning? It's a mood thing. Like I usually just do milk because it's like it's got enough water in it that it just like makes them not too rich. Mm. Um, but also it makes them a little, a little bit creamy. Um, but if I'm doing like soft scramble or anything that I want to be a little bit richer, I don't put anything in them because egg custardy goodness, you know, yeah. and I want to like water that down. So, um, that's so funny, but I'm not usually in the mood for that. So <laughs> do you like, just like your scrambled eggs on toast or with a protein or yeah um by far the most consumed scrambled egg which is probably like one maybe once a week i'll like scramble some eggs up but just like on a piece of toasted like bread like sourdough if i have it or white sandwich bread if i have it um with like some olive oil and pepper you know Mm, dude the contrast and textures are so good yeah like scrambled eggs and that's the best when you have stale bread and you just get it all the way crispy Mm. and put the eggs on it (laughs) so was there any um any kinds of food you hated to eat growing up um tomatoes tomatoes were always uh a a nemesis of mine Um, raw tomato all tomato tomato, all tomato that was like in tomato form so if it was like a sauce or ketchup or whatever i was like fine with it yeah um but just like actual tomato and i think it was something about the jelly texture around Mm. the seeds that i just couldn't do and also uh just like all the tomatoes i had really eaten were just kind of like unripe out of season grocery store spongy cottony tomatoes Mm -hmm. um and also my great aunt on my mom's side has this thing about tomatoes and when i was a kid apparently this was like a subconscious trauma of mine when i was a kid she was like ew john like don't eat the tomatoes they're yucky kind of thing like Mm -hmm. and so i think young me like pre-memory like i don't even have any recollection of this but like my family swears that's why i wouldn't touch tomatoes um so i partially blame her but um once i started cooking in like in like more serious restaurants and we started like i think roast was the first time i ever ate a tomato and was like why did no one tell me these could taste like this yeah um because we were get so so my first tomato experience like that was from uh the scott welzer tomatoes and selden uses those like they're pretty much like my favorite tomatoes um and he grows them in like northville and i just tasted one and i like I remember eating like the rest of this like green zebra tomato like an apple like before my shift he was like dropping tomatoes off and I was just like cooking on the line but I had my mind blown like thoroughly and ever since just like tomatoes are one of my tomato season is like my favorite time of produce (laughs) like damn so so you really literally went from not eating tomato to eating a good tomato and was like I'm sold Mm -hmm. so that that was the big one and then goat cheese I still can't do goat, like to this day, I can't eat goat cheese and I, I wish I could because I know it's like an incredible product and an incredible like experience uh-huh. to get to enjoy some of these like things. 
but I just can't do it. I don't know if it's like the acid or the, it's the, it's a combination of the acid and like the barnyard flavor mm. where like you, like it, it, the taste of it reminds me of like a barnyard of like animal manure. And I don't like, I wish it didn't. <laughs> I wish I could like it. I, every time someone gives me something with goat cheese, I try it and then immediately have to like choke it down and drink water. And that's like sad. Oh man. Like, I feel like I shouldn't have things that I just don't like to eat, but I also feel like because I give it its fair chance every time Mm -hmm. that I deserve a pass (laughs) for not liking to use goat cheese. So it's mostly the flavor, not like the texture. Yeah. The texture doesn't bother me like soft cheeses and things like that. Like, I mean, I'm like once a month, I'm like putting cream cheese on bagels for a pop-up. Like, you know, it's like not that different of a texture from that for me. Um, it's just the flavor that like lingers on my palate that I cannot get past. Even if there's like enough herbs and stuff on <laughs> the coach. No, or in no, it. no. Like it's funny. So like Val's pizza. Yeah. Um, we like, when they were doing the salads, we were like getting the salad every week mm-hmm. and um, it always had goat cheese on it and it was fine. Like I would pick it off like Charlotte and I, <laughs> um, Charlotte and I would get the salad and and I would just be like eat half of the salad and then like eat all the goat cheese off of it and then give it to me. And there was this one time that just, I swear, like uh, a like grain of rice sized piece of goat cheese was like left on a piece of lettuce. And I just like, I like had to pause and she's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? I'm like, he didn't get all the goat cheese. <laughs> and just like, <laughs> It just, it like ruined the whole experience. Nothing against the salad. Like their salads were always delicious. Every single one I got, but it's just the goat, the goat cheese for me, man. I can't, I can't get past it. It's like a firewall. Wow. So that's amazing. Yeah. That's so funny. Like (laughs) even like people who have like really amazing palates and like know how to, how food works. Like there's always something that's just like, doesn't click. It's my trigger. (laughs) So, um, so you said you started going, started working at restaurants while you were at school. Um, can you give me like a timeline of your first restaurant to like where you are now? Yeah, it's pretty, pretty fast. Uh, the first restaurant I worked in was, uh, in 20... 14 and you didn't go to culinary school right no i did not um my like culinary education came from just like buying as many like used food books as i could Mm -hmm. reading as much stuff just like online like from people as i could um what like cuisine were you most interested in um I don't even know because I don't, I don't think I even was thinking of it in like compartmentalizing cuisines like that when I first Mm -hmm. started, like, and I think that was just a symptom of like not having any point of reference. I was just like, cooking is tight. Yeah. (laughs) What do I want to cook next? You know? And like, Mm -hmm. like, so anything and everything, like I was just hungry as all hell to like learn whatever I could. Um, But then as I got into it more and more, I kind of started to fall into like wanting to sort of mimic the trajectory of like, if you, you know, were learning something formally, 
mm-hmm. of like, you know, they, the French cooking is always like the foundation of like Western cooking schools. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of like tried to learn those things as best I could. And then like classic, like Italian cooking has the same kind of like basics and they're almost the same, same things, just slightly different ingredients and slightly different names. Yeah. So I, I tried to like dip my feet in that water and, and, and get familiar with that stuff. But after that, like I kind of just started branching out and like just reading crazy books that I was interested in and like internalizing that stuff and, you know, like trying to, trying to just like own it and like do my own thing with it and, and like deconstruct whatever so-and-so was doing in whatever book. And, you know, why does that stuff work? Um, Mm -hmm. Why, why, when you put these two things together, why, when you cook something this way, does it work? How can I like repurpose that and use it for this other thing or, yeah. you know, so that's kind of like where my mind was. And I think I, I, I will like, I will never tell anybody they should go to culinary school for that reason, because I think not having that structure put me in a position where I could like question more things mm. and like, I don't know. I've worked at restaurants where people have will be like, that is like, why are you doing that that way? And like, mm. <laughs> because it makes more sense. Like, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, I tried to think of an example, like, I don't know. It, 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 this isn't one that happened to me, but like even just the thing of like, you know, cooking schools or, or culinary school teaching you, like when you sear, you sear a piece of protein to like, lock the juice in Mm -hmm. and like if you've ever cooked a hamburger and then flipped it over and then like juice starts coming out where you seared it well that's bullshit (laughs) like yeah well that was a lie you know and it's just like so like i never had someone like telling me that kind of thing which don't get me wrong like i'm not like trying to shit on people who had that education or that formal like culinary experience but um it just, you know, I, I'm grateful that I kind of was put in a, put in a position where I didn't have a structure to stick to in that way. Mm-hmm. Or you weren't um, like forced to learn a style or a way that doesn't really like make sense yeah. to you. Yeah. Well, I had a lot of catch up to play though, too, because like uh, when I started cooking at roast on the line in like 2016, um, that was the first kind of like higher end type of food I had a chance to work with. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> there's just a lot of strong personalities to to get used to. So I was kind of like navigating that and navigating like working with expensive stuff, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And uh, so there was just a lot of catch up to play there because I'd never done it before. And, and I didn't have anything that had really prepared me for it, but mm-hmm. I was just kind of thrown in in the middle of the summer when I started there and uh you know, it was like 110 degrees every day cooking and, and yeah. And grilling. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, from 2014 till 2020, it was, was, was where I was, where I got to hone in on, on what I want to do. So not very long. Were you um, already interested in cooking while, before you started working at restaurants or was it like not until you started working your first restaurant? No, it was something that I knew that I was making a mistake by getting into 
because like like I said like my my uncle was a chef like a sue at a restaurant in Dearborn before he went to college and um this and that and like everybody was like don't do it it's like the hours are crazy the work is crazy like the people are crazy yeah um and I was like "Eh, yeah but like I really got to pay for pay my school bills like yeah I need like work that's not going to fluctuate with the seasons like teaching guitar lessons and like doing freelance whatever Mm -hmm. photography you know stuff I could get a hold of um but I did it anyway you know and was like oh this isn't you know this is just going to be a thing for now like I'm not going to really go down this path and then I did (laughs) so um Yeah, yeah what was your first job at my first restaurant job, uh, are you familiar with, you You know, Aubrey's? Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 The pizza place. The pizza place. Yeah. That was the first restaurant. Restaurant. Um, in Ipsy so I, or where was that? Which one? That was like in Brighton. Oh, shit. Yeah. So it wasn't the original one. It was just one that was like near where I was living at the time. And I was like, uh, actually, my roommate at the time, like got me the job there. And they were um, just like a childhood friend and like this and that. And mm-hmm. um, so I was like, hey, do you think you could like set me up with a job here? And and so I did it. And like everyone there was crazy goofball, you know, like I was just like, this is a pirate ship. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I, I too have seen pirate movies. This is that like, um, so it was overwhelming, but um you know, like that's like where I learned. Like, to were you back? Were you in back of house or front of house? I, I started out prepping because I had never cooked on a line before. Okay. And then I was like, hey, like, you know, it was like morning shifts because I had class at night. Um, okay. So I was working from like ten to three and stuff like that, and then going to class from like four till eight thirty, kind of thing. Uh huh. Um, and then, uh, yeah, after I like finished that, I was like, yeah, throw me on the line, this and that, and like they do pizza and just like shitty bar food. Mm -hmm. So I was like kind of back and forth between both of those. Um, And I was there for like a year and a half or something like that. Uh, And then I kind of was just like, because I was, so at the time I was going to school in Lansing and I was thinking like, I might like get a spot out there, like downtown Lansing or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I, I kind of was like, put on to what was going on down here at the time um and like my parents grew up you know down here my grandparents like my grandparents had an apartment uh like near Wayne State campus cool near like Cass and Warren and uh they had my mom while they were living there in March so my mom's birthday was the other day um happy birthday and they, they had her in march of 67 and then when the riots happened in the summer mm-hmm. they called <clears throat> my grandma's brother and said you've got to come get us out of here with the baby Whoa. and they never came back um so i kind of was like well like my family's like from you know mm-hmm. from from down there so so why not you know like <laughs> I could like get a job in a restaurant here somewhere and mm-hmm. and I did and I've just been did you think that, that all, all other restaurants were also pirate ships or did you just know that Aubrey's was a special place um 
after I was there for a few months, I was like, this is just pretty normal. Isn't it guys? Like, um, (laughs) and then once I came down here, I was like, cool. All restaurants are pirate ships. And also you guys are professionals when service is going on. That's cool. I'm into it. (laughs) You know, like, like how, how like restaurant people act after service is over is how like, the the like first restaurant people acted like the whole time Mm. i was like cool like we actually have a job to do this feels good like to (laughs) to be part of this you know yeah so i really like that and i have like tons of respect for everyone that i ever learned anything from no matter where you know where it came from whether it was just Mm -hmm. like a goofy like you know place like like aubrey's or whatever or uh you know once i once i started like taking it a little bit more seriously that's cool that it like didn't take you away from wanting to like work another restaurant job after that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, cause I mean, I knew that, that there was, there was uh, more out there. Um, mm-hmm. I tried to, to stay pretty grounded, you know, even on the days that it was just like kicking my ass. Like it was something that at the end of the day I liked, I liked doing, like I liked, putting food on plates and giving it to somebody else, you know, totally. So, um, so where did you go after Aubrey's or why did you leave Aubrey's? Uh, cause I got a place down here. Cool. Um, so yeah, I, I, it was like my 21st birthday or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved down here and, uh, I got a place like right at Mac and uh, MLK or Woodward and like MLK, like the, the building that's now the Hamilton. Mm-hmm. That's like where I moved to and uh, just was, was cooking down here. Like that was, that was it. Like roast was open seven days at that time. And I was like working. Oh, so you went and, directly to roast after. Yes. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. I, I staged <laughs> there one day and uh, I staged and uh got offered the job um i couldn't believe it like i i was like i i literally don't know what i'm doing you know <laughs> um i mean like i did but i felt like at the time like i was in way over my head um mm-hmm. but i started like a week from the day that i staged and then i was like oh. well i'm gonna get a place so so i did it and uh that's that's been it ever since basically you know that's crazy so um so what what did what what did you learn the most from working at Aubrey's and then like what did you carry over into like the biggest thing was just like how things work of like Mm -hmm. what a day looks like Mm -hmm. because I mean like anywhere you cook the idea is the same the food that you're touching is different the people that you're serving are different Mm-hmm. the like the attitude around what you're doing is different yeah. but it's the same work and yeah. uh you know that's why it's like this thing of like people like to shit on like people who work at you know dive or places or casual places like no like they're they're working just as hard as anyone in like you know fine dining 13 course tasting like i don't care like you guys do the same we do the same job you know yeah um still putting food on plates and we're putting food on plates. maybe yeah, even that's, more food <laughs> that's the joke like like desmond desmond the 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 bar the beverage director at, 
at Shelby and I just like constantly, he's like, I just pour shit in cups. And I'm like, yeah, I just heat shit up on burners. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's what we're doing at the end of the day. Like, if we take ourselves too seriously, we like, are just like weenies about it, you know? <laughs> so it's like, um, so the biggest thing, you know, from that was just like the flow of like what a day looks like. Like you come in, you set your shit up, you work through service, don't run out of anything, hopefully. Yeah. And then we have fun and break down and get everything clean and want to walk into a place the next morning that we feel good about. And it's like that just like mindset was, I think my biggest takeaway Mm -hmm. from just like my time in a more like casual place Mm -hmm. of just like, you know, getting, getting into the right headspace to be able to do that. And just, you know, cause it is like, it's mentally taxing and, uh, it's a lot of it's a lot of work, but if you're looking at it through the right lens and with the right attitude, it can be really rewarding at the same time. So that was that was kind of I think the biggest thing that set me up coming into like you know the the bigger uh, the bigger restaurants. So yeah, what was it like going into a kitchen like roast versus like Aubrey's? Um, not all that different, a lot stronger and more serious personalities because just people had this sense of like duty to this job that was Mm -hmm. like, people took a little bit more pride in the actual details of the job, like the food. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was, that was nice. And that's like contagious too. It's like, I just like soaked that up like a sponge, you know, (laughs) it was like, this feels good to, to be like, working with people who like make me want to do better every shift. Um, And especially like some of the Sue's there at the time, like I learned a ton from, uh, and I just like, I have a lot of respect for, for the like managers that were working there at the time who were kind of like open books. Like, Mm. you know, if you want to learn something, come in a little bit before your shift and I'll teach you this and that, whatever, like, no, you know, there was no, there was absolutely zero gatekeeping mentality, cool. which was really cool. Um, and it went like both ways, like front of house and back of house. Mm-hmm. Um, I just learned so much yeah. in the time that I spent there. And like, it's like, at the end of the day, it's like, if you want it, just go and get it, you know? Yeah. So there was really like no excuse for me not to like absorb everything that I could. That's rad. I mean, were there other people like that at like in the kitchen who didn't have any like culinary school education? Um, Yeah. Actually a lot of them, a lot of our guys, um, a lot of the people I worked with had, had not. And a lot of people had too though. So it was like, Mm -hmm. it was kind of interesting uh, the mix. And, and that was also like, something that was a little bit addictive to me of like none of us have the same background like yeah at all and uh we all like come together and just like put it all here and Mm -hmm. and uh so just like that service mentality was was something that i found it really fascinating that you know even though this person came here because they learned how to how to you know, cook at this school and this person, you know, used to work at wherever down the street or wherever in Greek town before this, you know, mm-hmm. and then 
started on started making desserts on garmage and is now like running so, the saute station you know calling the shots on the line yeah. basically like that was cool it was like it like nothing matters once you're there just like yeah. what you want to learn and how far you want to take yourself mm-hmm. so and and i still think that that's like my favorite thing about restaurants in detroit right now mm. um like there are people running restaurants who don't have a who don't have a like formal culinary background and mm. there's people who were on like you know tv you know and it's like there's all of these there's all of these backgrounds and at the end of the day everyone just like wants to give someone who's coming to eat their food a good time like a good experience mm-hmm. and like it's like very unpretentious usually um mm-hmm. and it just feels good because we all like we all want the same thing sure we're not uh, fi- we're not fighting against each other so much so yeah everybody just wants to like feed each other good food and like yep have them taste whatever new thing that you're cooking up you know um what's your like food inspiration what about food is inspiring to you um i so this kind of goes to like the idea that we sort of had when we were starting up like pariah in a more formal capacity Mm -hmm. but like nothing nothing is ever the same twice Mm. and like it doesn't matter how like you if you measure your cuts like when you're cutting something or like you weigh the salt in something as a percentage of weight like it doesn't matter no two things that like you put on a plate in front of somebody are going to be the same anytime and like this idea like it goes to like the food and the service side because i'm like i'm like fascinated by both and uh but just this idea of like trying to make this perfect circle that's never going to be perfect Mm. or like uh the way the way like we we talk about it like in our in our like pariah meetings or the way we would we would conceptualize it is like what we're like trying to give to somebody is like is like the uh, the idea of like when you drop your phone or your wallet between the car seats and you try to reach for it and like the closer you get to grabbing it the you realize the farther away it is yeah it just keeps slipping the and opening like, gets bigger <laughs> yeah like the act of you chasing after it makes it farther away mm. and so like i think about the food that i want to give to people and the service that i want people to feel um or experience um and i just like it's like a huge source of inspiration to know that like the closer we get the more we realize we can do better Mm. you know and so um that's like the fuel it's like your personal journey with the food yeah exactly it's like it's never going to be perfect it's never going to be exactly what we wanted or exactly what we envisioned and uh the better we get at it the better we realize we can be at it Mm -hmm. like the sky's the limit was there ever a moment where you were like i actually don't want to do food there were plenty of those moments in 2020 um (laughs) yeah like uh 
I mean, I, I stepped down from my position at roast, for example. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously like I had my hopes that like everything was going to work out with Shelby and uh, this and that, but I like formally stepped down before I had everything in place. And and I, I kind of was at a point where I was like, this like pandemic has changed like how we all look at the world. Yeah. But uh, like, I want to do something for myself and something that's me and that like, you know, I don't like, I don't want to be doing something so that other people can go out and pretend that the world is normal by like eating this food. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want that to be the purpose of it um, for me. And like, I want to like be able to be like proud of what I'm doing and Mm -hmm. have it be an expression of what I actually care about. Um, And so, you know, when I, when I decided that like, I wasn't going to do the roast thing anymore. um, The plan was like, well, I'm just going to like do a couple pop-ups every week. And mm-hmm. like, it's going to be not, you know, restaurant food at all, but it's going to be something that's fun and that's approachable. And that's something that's relatively safe. Um, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, everything did line up with Shelby and like, that's the, that's the full-time thing now, but um, still can do Was Shelby already in the works? Cause he said they were going to open like a year ago. Yeah. Um, so they were going to, you know, I don't know exactly the timeline that they were looking at, but um, yeah, Shelby was the, the entire food side of it was put together by Matt Tulpa mm-hmm. um, originally. And uh, he was looking for a chef to run it like solo. Um, he's, he's amazing, like amazing cook. Like we think alike on so much stuff, mm-hmm. but uh I just felt like it was a good fit the first time I just came in to look at it. And, uh, you know, we, we basically, because the format changed, they were planning on opening like uh, as an a la carte format. And then Mm -hmm. the 25% restrictions came out and we were like, you know, okay, we have to like reimagine what this looks like. And so we came up with the prefix and the, the, the current form that we're serving people in. And, Mm -hmm. um, basically we kind of got there together of like how the actual dishes are going to be and you know what what we're serving first of all and also how we're going to get that to people and uh so it was it was pretty collaborative and even just the past couple of weeks um so it feels good to kind of like come into that and like make a lot of this stuff my own to some extent and as it as it goes on like you know, the, the, the next iteration of dishes we come out with on menu is, is going to be, is going to be fun to take it in a, in a direction that's newer to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably for him too, since these are, these are dishes that he's had in the back of his mind for a while and that he was generous enough to share with me and uh, let me, you know, make, make my own a little bit. So, yeah. So you talked about um, like the whole industry getting hit pretty immensely by COVID like a year ago. Um, what was it like from like ground zero of COVID hitting and like just seeing it all kind of like 
one thing after another just being affected. It was extremely surreal. Um, I know that we went from in the restaurant, we went from uh, just kind of talking at pre-shift, you know, in the beginning of March um, precautions, you know, Hey guys, like there's some COVID cases in the U S we don't really know much. Mm. And this was like when everyone like COVID wasn't like a household name. It was like, people were like coronavirus or what, like everyone was calling it like something different. Yeah. Or it uh, was like not hitting the U S it was mostly like you're hearing about cases internationally. Yeah. And I feel like whenever it was that the first cases got to the U S like in the Pacific Northwest or whenever that was, um, everybody was kind of like, wow, holy shit, it's here, but we're going to lock it down. Like we'll be fine. Um, Mm -hmm. and that was like a thing at pre-shift. It was like, no, no. Yeah. You know, like we don't expect COVID to, to come to Southeast Michigan or whatever, but you know, this is a good time to bring up like hand washing this and that, like sanitizing stations, like, like, so just things like that. And then two weeks later, it's like, we're closing, you know? And it's just like, came into work on um i think saint patrick's day last year was on a tuesday Mm -hmm. we were closed on mondays but um some of the guys from cleveland who are like higher up on the roast ladder uh, Mm um came came up and they were like gonna have a meeting with us and that was basically when the when the owner came in and was like we're closing um everybody is to go home and file for unemployment. We are going to break down all of the walk-in space and send all the food home with the staff. Damn. And we'll see you guys back in five to seven weeks. (laughs) And I was just like, wow. Five to seven weeks is a long time. Mm. to not work fast forward to a year later yeah you know and we're still there yeah. except like the world has lost a lot of people mm-hmm. and uh you know it's gonna be hard <laughs> yeah. so you know i i'm very fortunate to not have have lost any direct relatives or anything like that. Um, but I know a lot of people who have, you know, and yeah. it's even, even just like people that I've, I've met or have been acquainted with in like the industry, you know, I've, I know of a couple people who have, who've been lost to COVID and it's just like, mm-hmm. I don't want shit to go back to normal, you know? Yeah. Um, totally. Like, no, like normal to me implies that we like forget that this happened and it's yeah. just it has to be different when you go back exactly you know yeah because i remember like when i was living across the street from you you had like meats available you had all this produce yeah. and like you're making chocopan and like all these things yeah is that where a lot of the stuff was coming from like from the kitchen or so combination not really because i think for the most of the month of march and april i had like stuff that i was giving out to people and and even just like breads when i was selling them 
Mm-hmm. Um, the breads were just like keeping me sane a little bit. It was just like yeah. a schedule. Like I would, you know, make X amount of batches of dough before I went to bed, proof mm-hmm. it in the fridge, bake this many loaves in the morning. And then like I had people come by and pick them up during the day. Yeah. So like that was just like <laughs> me it, like not knowing what to do, like what to structure my day mm-hmm. with and like basically just creating a list for me to work through of tasks yeah. that were, that were cooking. Um, and then all of the food that I was like putting out on my porch for people to come and pick up was, uh, so like, I mean, I, I was doing all the ordering for roast. And so like mm-hmm. all the purveyors were like contacting me daily and, uh, you know, like, like produce and meat and all that stuff. They were like, <laughs> we don't know what to do with any of it. All the restaurants are closed. No one's buying the stuff. Mm-hmm. Come to the loading dock and pick things up and share, you know? So I was like, okay, like I would go to like Del Bain a couple times a week mm-hmm. and just pick up cases of lettuce and like cases of mushrooms and you know, whatever. And it was fortunately cool enough in March Mm. that I would just like leave it out on my porch with some grocery bags and yeah. a p- couple pairs of gloves. And like, here's my address. Come by, like fill up a bag, you know? And it's like, I don't know what else to do with it. I, there's neighbors on my, on the street that are, you know, older and, and are like not really in a position to be able to go to the store by themselves. Cause yeah. you know, they're at higher risk. And this was, mm-hmm. you know, when COVID cases were not even all over the place yet, but everyone's terrified to go to the store. And, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. It was just like, I don't really know what to do, but this feels right. You know? Yeah. Like I have the ability to just go and get this shit for free right now. Mm -hmm. And I don't have any use for all of it, but I know that other people will, you know? So totally. So that's all that was really was, you know, and then once, once they stopped like giving stuff out for free because they kind of readjusted to what their new par was, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it wasn't so much of a thing anymore, but, uh, yeah. What was the like five, seven weeks like for you? Like, did you think you would go back to work? I did. I did for like the first week. And then as like the, you know, the graph escalated, Yeah. I was like, all right, well, this is it. You know, this is life for now. Mm Mm-hmm. So, uh, it was all the days blurred together, you know? Yeah. The first, like, like, I feel like the first month was so hard. It was just like, everyone was like, Oh, what day is it? Like mm -hmm. that kind of vibe. But, um, yeah, it was so like you were talking, you mentioned that you were thinking about doing pop-ups and stuff as like an alternative. Like when did those concepts start coming into Um, like vision? So I, I've been doing pop-ups with Sean, like for Pariah stuff since like 2017, 2018. Mm. Um, how did you meet Sean? I met Sean opening Prime and Proper. Okay. So how did that, where, where did Prime and Proper line up with you working at Roast? I went and opened Prime and Proper in 2017. Um, and I was there for, I think, seven or eight months. And, uh, it just was, I, I like, I did, I think what I went there to do and I got out of it 
what I hoped to. And at that point, um, you know, I just didn't like see it as a place that I really wanted to like advance in. Mm. Um, just because like the format of like the, the kind of like steakhouse thing that was going on there was just like not as much my thing. And, uh, so then I went back to roast as a Sioux and, and, um, the biggest thing for me was that like, I just knew that I could, I could do a little bit more of my own thing with the menu there. At and, Prime and Proper? No, at Roast. And oh, at Roast. Not, and not have to focus so much on just like this idea of the, you know, meat place. And even though that's what everyone knows Roast as, like that wasn't my focus there. Like from the time I went back, basically until the time I left, my thing was like, like I, like the, the, the dry aging fish. Um, mm was the thing that I put a ton of energy and, and time into like learning and getting better at and actually implementing. Like if you ate a piece of fish from roast from um, late 2018 until the last time roast was open, mm-hmm. um, like it was, it had been aged, <laughs> you know, like before mm-hmm. I hit the plate. And like Mike Hahn actually was the first person that I was served a piece of aged fish by. Mm. and it just like blew my mind and then and then after like pursue ended i was like this is like really cool and i I like want this experience to be something that people can come out and get any given day Mm -hmm. and uh so like that was a huge thing for me just like i had a lot of flexibility to kind of play around with things and experiment and this this that and the other thing and and so that was ultimately why I went back and that was, you know, all the, all the people I worked with and and stuff like that at Prime and Proper, just like probably some of the like most talented, like imaginative cooks Mm. I've had a chance to work with because it was a huge team. Like there was, I don't know, there had to be like 50, 60 people Mm. (laughs) on that team, not all in the restaurant at once, but you know, being open seven days and stuff, it's like, there's a lot of people that work there. Totally. Um, and it's not a small restaurant either. And uh, so that it was, it was a very, very good experience. Uh, but yeah, Sean is definitely like the person that uh, I like vibed with, like on the food side mm-hmm. pretty, pretty quickly. And he came to like one or two of like the dinners, like the tasting menus that I was doing on my own, like at my loft at the time. Mm. Um, like I had a loft in the, in the Hudson apartments over at Fort and Rosa parks. Um, and I just kind of had it set up like to do dinners in. And so Mm -hmm. he came to that on a day off one night and like, we like hit it off there. (laughs) We're just like, cool. We got to do this together, you know? Yeah. So from that point, um, Pariah came about. Yeah. So we were like helping each other with our own pop-ups for probably a year before Mm -hmm. we like started Pariah. And we were like, just need to like combine forces, double our energy. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I want to touch on that in a second, more of the Pariah thing, but um, the pandemic stuff, uh, what were some of the biggest challenges you had to like face and like, how did that kind of, make you brainstorm and find ways to like bring up these ideas of like these bagel pop-ups and stuff like that um 
honestly a lot of it was just born out of like being bummed out that i like didn't have an outlet for it um Mm -hmm. and so just kind of like the the bagel thing was funny it was like i got i don't know i a, a few times throughout the pandemic i would just like call call up our uh our motor city seafood guy because i like wanted some fish and just order a bunch of stuff <laughs> and like you know either cook it in the backyard with friends because like i can only order like i have to order a certain amount because i don't want to like you know order one fish or something or yeah or some like i want it to be worth their while if they're gonna like deliver to my house mm-hmm. and so it was that kind of thing and it's like well i'm gonna like order a couple of whole salmon and like we'll cook some and we'll eat some and whatever and then i can do this with the rest of it and like sell it at you know whatever price just to like make it worth my while for people Mm -hmm. and so i just started doing that like actually pretty recently like in the fall yeah um and people have been into it like (laughs) it's it's like a little bit shocking like how many people are just down to like venmo me for like my cost of my my fish and my time and like come and pick shit up from my porch and uh it's been cool though and i and i from there um like brad who does the bagels um Mm -hmm. amazing amazing like bagel and challah and all kinds of fun baked goods yeah we just sort of like teamed up and and he's making the bagels for the the milwaukee pop-ups and uh Mm -hmm. i don't know it's just it's just a fun way to like get something to people that like isn't you know you know you're not going to go to the store and buy like koji cured salmon yeah i don't know if you can get that anywhere (laughs) yeah i'm I'm sure someone else is doing it like i didn't invent curing things with koji you know but Mm -hmm. um yeah it's yeah it's a lot of fun so with like with covid pandemic like how did that change your perspective on food personally or like within the community like Um, the food industry i mean i saw like before my eyes, like almost in slow motion, like the entire industry kind of just like have somewhat of an awakening, mm-hmm. um, both like industry wise, like what the fundamentals of, of the actual work that they were doing was and how like not important it, it became at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And like everyone kind of simultaneously realized that like, um not that people weren't aware of this of course but like like not to not to like make it too much of like a i guess like political thing but everybody had a sort of like service industry class awakening Mm. of like we exist to make these people's lives feel normal or feel a certain way Mm mm-hmm and and we were all kind of basically like, no, like fuck that. We want to do this because we enjoy what we do, you know. Mm-hmm. And and like that, like perspective flip, uh, has just like made everything feel different. And like that's kind of what I mean too. And it's like none of us want things to go back to normal. Mm-hmm. We want things to go to something that 
people actually like recognize what we're doing and like, you know, what we have to offer professionally. Yeah, totally. And uh, I feel like people are, are ready to do things on their own terms. Mm-hmm. Like, like, in, like food, like food and service industry wise. Um, so it's been really cool to see. And like a lot of people that I'm friends with are, are people who are always kind of challenging your preconceived kind of like thoughts about why you do something. So I'm grateful for that, that like, you know, mostly my friend group is, is like pretty self-analytical in that way of like, mm-hmm okay, but why are we doing this? You know, and, and it just like, it's, it's thought provoking in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's like, it's like intentional food, you know? Exactly. So, um, okay. So what's it been like, if you can compare like opening up, opening up a restaurant pre pandemic, like prime and proper, and then you have to open a restaurant like Shelby a year later, within the pandemic and then like doing openings like what was it like to do like even like your first pop-up during pandemic like how scary was that for you it's terrifying um it's 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 terrifying it's like there's just so many unknowns um Mm -hmm. anybody who's ever like been part of a team opening a restaurant knows like how many things are up in the air at any given time and how much of just like figuring things out on the fly there is mm-hmm. of like, wow, I can't believe I didn't think about that. We're in the middle of service, but now I guess, I guess now I have to think about that. Um, so there's that element. And uh, then when you get into like opening a new restaurant with pandemic restrictions in place, um, which don't get me wrong. Like I, I say like restrictions, but like, I, I get it. Like we all get why they're there. It's like, yeah. I, whatever you guys need me to do to keep people safe, whatever you think is going to keep people safe, I will do it. Like, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, So like navigating that at the same time, we're learning every day and every time we, we, we try it again. Um, So it's just like the same kind of thing of like figuring everything out on the fly, but times two at least. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you throw in like a pop-up where, it's like the wild west. Like you're doing a thing that's like outside of the boundaries of what a lot of people even think of as like restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, and like literally building a kitchen like from nothing. Like when, I mean, just when Carlos and I were like doing sandwiches out of the Milwaukee window, you know, like yeah. around Thanksgiving and stuff like, we like turned the cafe bar top like into a sandwich station, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's just like where as simple of stuff as like this thing doesn't have a place and it's really fucking everything up for us right now. <laughs> um, so like throw that layer of like pop-up chaos on top of pandemic chaos on top of mm-hmm. just like doing things for the first time chaos. Yeah. So it's, it's insane. It's like n- definitely I've not experienced any shortage of things to have anxiety over. Um, mm. <laughs> but at well, the you have the day, a lot of composure and that's impressive. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. It's uh it's a struggle sometimes, but it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's worth it. And I think 
you know, if there's one big thing that I am grateful for that I've kind of gotten perspective on through the pandemic is Mm -hmm. that, um, like we are scrappy people, like (laughs) we will make it happen. Yeah. And if I ever think that like something's going terribly and everything is falling apart, we can pick it up and like put it back together. Mm-hmm. And you know, pretty much only you know that is falling apart. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the goal, yeah. right? Like, you know, the the idea of like if shit's going downhill, just don't let it reach the dining room. You know, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um. So it's like a little bit of that mentality of like, play it cool, plus fake it till you make it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so I want to talk a little bit about like the actual cooking side of these like pop-ups or concepts um Mm -hmm. what's the process like when you come up with an idea for a dish or like a concept like Um, the concept to plate what is that like it can vary a lot but uh sometimes it's like sometimes it's just you know something that i taste somewhere else or like we we'll see someone else kind of use an ingredient or something in a way that's new to us. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it it just kind of goes from there of like, well, if, you know, like, I don't know, I guess at the end of the day, I just like, I want things to be intentional Mm. and like things just being cool or like looking cool or tasting good alone like it needs to have two of those three things at least i guess Mm. um i don't know i just i just want everything from start to finish to be considered and done intentionally by the time it hits the plate Mm. so it's really fluid you know like there's not like a checklist if that makes sense um but if it feels like what is going on the plate is the best version of what we have at that time Mm-hmm. ship it you know yeah totally it, it's like especially i mean especially like that's that's something that's kind of come to me over like the past year too of like if we have this right now then we have this right now and why wait why sit on it for too long you know mm-hmm. so um sorry it's all good uh so yeah i mean it's it's never it's it's again it's that thing of like it's never the same like the food is never the same but also the way that and you know something comes to that point of where it's on a plate for somebody yeah the idea to actual edible thing like that process never happens the same way twice either yeah so yeah, I mean, because if you also include like the experience of eating the food, you know, that can't be yeah. replicated either, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, and and that's the thing. It's like, it's a little bit like any, any kind of art too. It's like, you have to let go. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't tell someone how to enjoy this. Like, once you give it to them, it's out there in the world and they're going to take away from it what they're going to take away from it. Yeah. And, and like, you know, <laughs> Morgan and I still talk about those fucking oysters that you made with the togarashi butter and yeah. like yeah that was 
I don't know if I'll ever eat that again or not, but like you can, <laughs> I would love to, you know, but like yeah. that, I feel like that first experience would just like always be there. You yeah. Know? And no, exactly. that was like such a great evening when you invite us over to like hang out in your backyard and like, yeah, it was fun. That's yeah. That was, that was, the, I don't know. That was just like the craziest thing I've ever eaten. And <laughs> That was yeah. awesome. Yeah. I'm planning on doing it again this summer. So, um, so yeah. So you like, you're cooking out of your garden. Like how have you, was it your first time doing a garden? Um, to yes and level? no. Yeah. This level. So most of that honestly was, was Charlotte's the mastermind behind the garden. Um, mm-hmm. like, like master gardener person, like did the dumb. msu master gardener thing like oh, a couple years ago like she's she's in it like yeah so she's like i'm really thankful that she's just like what do you want to grow you know yeah we'll do it like let's you know we just we have like seeds spread out across like our table right now like all kinds of yeah. it's that time stuff's coming in and i'm like yep it's sunny out. It's going to be like 50 degrees today. Like I'm getting excited. Like, let's do this garden again. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, that was my first time just not having a garden necessarily, but having the time to like pause and just like be present for it. Mm -hmm. Um, and not have to worry about like, man, I'd love to do, more of this or spend more time on this but i've got all of this other shit you know yeah so yeah i'm excited for what you guys produce and i know morgan reached out to charlotte about seeds and stuff so yeah it's gonna be another another great harvest i feel like oh my god you can't see me at all (laughs) i'm gonna like block this on with my hat yeah there you go um so i feel like a lot of your cooking or like flavor palette is pretty like japanese inspired or like heavy um yeah at least from like whenever you talk about like curing things or like even like shokupan or like Mm. like where did that come from um was there a book that you read or like a TV show or like what, where did that Japanese inspiration come from? Um, I don't know. I don't know where, if I can even pinpoint that. Um, I don't have any like f- background, like formal background cooking, that kind of thing at all either. Yeah. So I think honestly, a lot of it came once I started doing prior stuff with Sean, because he does have a little bit of a background. And it like opened a new door of just like looking a a way of looking at things Uh of kind of just like embracing what is there and not manipulating things too far. Mm. Um, And from there, like, I mean, Shogupan is good. (laughs) Like if you've never had it, it's like, there's some, there's like lessons there just in that, Mm -hmm. like one thing, you know? And Mm -hmm. so it's just, um, you know, but otherwise, like a lot of the, 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 like that inspiration comes through the little bit of like geeking out that I do about just like the Koji and stuff like that. It's like, yeah. it's such a, it's such a foundational thing in like 
all Japanese food that it kind of puts that spin on anything else you bring it to, even if it's, you know, you're not using show you or something like that. Mm-hmm. So even if it's like the Carolina gold, like rice Koji that I, I'll use for like my Shio Koji, it's like, yeah, you know, it's, it's gonna have that feeling. Um, yeah. Even Did if you eat any Japanese food growing up, or like not was until, that accessible? Not really. Not until I started like working in restaurants, like with people who were plugged into it more, and, and just like I was kind of shown the way <laughs> a mm-hmm. little bit of like, you know, this is this is a a completely like new experience of like textures and and yeah. flavors and just ways of cooking things. Um, so I, it's like not too much of a conscious thing when that comes up, but at the same time, I am aware that it could be like taken the wrong way or mm-hmm. taken, taken like, um, as like me trying to co-opt things in a way, which is the mm-hmm. opposite of what I ever want to try and do. Sure. Um, so I try to be very intentional with how I use those things that, could get a little too close to like what some people see as traditional. Yeah. Well, this is a conversation I have a lot mm -hmm. with a lot of like American Asian or like fusion foods, Mm -hmm. but the bottom line is like, if you do it well, right. Then you're kind of in the clear or better, you know? So I feel like, you know, sometimes I do raise my eyebrows when I see people doing stuff like that. But like, mm-hmm. I feel like every time you do it, it's just like, you just hit it on the nose. So it's like, yeah. it's not weird. And I feel like yeah. you are accomplishing what you are intending to do. Yeah, you know? I, I like, I, I try to, I try to, I try to, to like, toe that line a bit of like, I don't want, I don't want, I'm like, I'm not trying to like do the like, provocative thing right like because people do that intentionally just to like stir up a reaction and i'm just like i just like cringe at it a little bit when i see it and Mm -hmm. and for for me it's like i'm not in a position or i don't have a background to be able to say for myself whether i'm doing it right or something like that Mm -hmm. um so i i it's more to me of just like i'm not gonna like call it the you know like there's plenty of opportunity that to like call something the, you know, name of like a Japanese dish or something, Mm -hmm. but I'm like, not going to call it that I'll like shout out like the way I'm doing something or like the technique or the ingredient that I'm using, but I'm not going to call it the name of like what this dish is, even if it borrows some of the same ideas, because like, if it's too far removed from what the actual idea culturally Mm -hmm. of what something like that started Mm -hmm. out as, I don't have like that connection doesn't exist for me. Mm-hmm. So it just comes off as cheap of, as like, um, it's not as authentic. It, yeah. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, it's not coming from the same place, you know? Yeah. So even if I hit it on the nose and I call it this thing, it's like, I don't have the same connection to it. And so I don't, mm. I don't want to call it something that I don't have like, you're just being more literal about it like this is what it is not like what it is to you right and if and if 
And if someone who does have that connection to the food and, and going back to like childhood or going back to family or whatever, mm-hmm. if someone does have that connection and is like, wow, this is awesome. This reminds me of this, that, like, great, cool. I'm glad I could, like, I'm glad I could hit that on the nose for you, you know, but, mm-hmm. but I'm never, I'm not going to like, the last thing I want to try and do is tell somebody who has that background mm-hmm. that I'm doing justice to what that background is because I don't know like yeah have you been to Japan no I was supposed to go or I was trying to go in 2020 yeah um yeah but no um I know that Morgan and I are planning on trying to go next year on like February or March so okay if you want to meet us out there <laughs> that'll be awesome yeah i'm i'm not opposed to that at all <laughs> yeah japan's yeah. crazy okay um, what's your what's your favorite part of cooking like the prepping the shopping plating like um where do you get the most excitement it's really exciting to just kind of like conceptualize food and like sort of try to like see it in that like mind's eye mm-hmm. like what you want it to look like before you have even touched any of it yeah and then it's also really exciting to like be in the middle of it, like busy service and just kind of like finding the flow and, and learning. Cause it's every service has its own personality in a way. Sure. Um, and just kind of navigating that. And, you know, by maybe like an hour into service, you're just like cruising altitude and, and it's, and it's fun and it feels effortless and you're just like, when everything's going right because I mean, plenty goes wrong and, and makes service miserable but those two things i would probably place equally um mm. prepping is fine it can be relaxing sometimes but it can also be stressful you know if you're behind or this or that or so um yeah i think i think the very beginning and the very end um mm. and obviously like you know after you're all cleaned up and like everything is back to where it started. Yeah. It's pretty satisfying too. Um, How so, much yeah. are you tasting the food as you're cooking? Um, to be honest, less right now than I ever have. Mm-hmm. Um, just because tasting the food is more of a, of a project as you're cooking it um, mm. right now with like, yeah where am I going to keep my clean tasting spoons? Where are my dirty tasting spoons going to go? I'm going to like step over here. So I'm not like taking a mask off to taste this food while I'm standing over all of my knees. Like, so I definitely taste each thing like at multiple points throughout the night Mm -hmm. or like, you know, the turnips that we put on the plate, like the lamb plate right now, like at Shelby, it's like, I might taste the sauce and taste the turnip, like beginning of service, middle of service, right before the last couple tables of service. Mm-hmm. But like going to that, it just like, it was weird to get used to go coming from like basically just having like a thing of tasting spoons, sandy water, clean, dirty. Yeah. Yeah. Like tasting on the station, every single thing right before it hit every plate. Mm-hmm. And it's like, um, you know, it's just like, you have to be a lot more mindful of, of um, not only just like doing it safely, but also like 
doing it in a way where if like somebody somewhere else in the restaurant, like at a table, for example, sees you tasting something <laughs> like it, it still comes across as like, you're doing it as like the, the job, like that's the job to do. It's like, you know, so it doesn't seem, so it, it comes across as like a quality check that's professional rather than like someone doing something unprofessionally, like take, taking their mask off in the restaurant while they're working. Cause people yeah. like, I, if I was a guest, I wouldn't want to see that. Yeah. I mean, I have, obviously I know the people cooking the food have to taste the food, but everyone doesn't like yeah. think of that, you know? So, yeah. Like I feel like tasting something versus like eating something is right. totally different. <laughs> no, exactly. And, and I just like, given that we're in a pandemic and I'm like working in a restaurant right now, mm-hmm. like I have to be extra mindful of, of how that comes across when people I see know. it. And I, I, that matters to me. Like, I don't, I don't want it to, I don't want to just be like, oh, someone has a problem with that. Well, like, you know, yeah, yeah. fuck off. Like, no, I like don't want people to feel uncomfortable with mm-hmm. that. If, you know, it's something I have to do, but it's also something that just like doesn't make as much sense or is, is, is as good of an idea to like. Yeah. I mean, that's gotta be hard. Cause like cooking with a mask, like cooking has so much to do with like smell too. And like tasting. Yeah. Does that, I'm sure that affects it a little bit. Um, it's mostly like, I can, you know, like you can smell everything the same. The thing is that like, once you're done cooking for like the hour and a half that you're like cleaning up and breaking down, mm-hmm. you're wearing all of the smells right in front of your face, <laughs> yeah. even after the cooking has stopped. Um, so that's just like normally, uh, normally it's just like cool like i'm gonna clean up i'm gonna tear everything down and and we're gonna you know go home and and i'm gonna like go home and i'm gonna eat because i haven't eaten in 12 hours this is i've been working Mm. and whatever um and now it's just like damn service stopped i'm really hungry and i'm like smelling all the food i just cooked all day (laughs) like so it's that it's like it's a little silly but um Mm. it's i don't know it's it's not that big of a deal you know it's like one or two shifts with a mask on the whole time. And it's like, you just you kind of it out. it's there in a way, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it makes it a little warmer. Like it's, you know, like my face breaks out a little bit. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's not that big of a hassle mm-hmm. at the end of the day compared to the idea of getting a restaurant up and running. Yeah. Um. So a big reason why I wanted to talk to you today was, um, you're you and Sean as Priya, you're doing this pop up at Voyager, the Thai takeover. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> can you tell me a little bit about like the first few pop ups you've done with Sean to like how that's led to the Thai takeover? Um. Yeah. Like the the idea of like Priya was kind of like neither of us had our you know like our own restaurant necessarily we were just Mm -hmm. cooking um but we were just like ambitious with it and too ambitious a lot of times (laughs) um which we've learned and and you know been able to scale things back when necessary but uh we kind of went from doing a la carte just fun goofy menus Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and using those as like a way to sort of like fundraise ourselves yeah. to invest in like a setup that we could do multi-course like crazy tasting menu multi-seatings to then like doing a handful of those and then the pandemic hitting and now we've like basically not done anything in over a year um mm-hmm. just because that format that we we invested so heavily in yeah just like we're not gonna put 12 strangers around a table now mm-hmm. like period yeah. <laughs> it's just not gonna happen so kind of coming up with a way to um Sorry, I'm like trying to block out the sun, but it's like You're getting good. worse. The um, persimmons look really nice. Yeah, yeah, they're about <laughs> ready to get put in bags. Um, basically, this is like the first thing we've done since last February. And uh, mm-hmm. so obviously, like I've been messing around with the, the fish and the salmon thing. And, and so yeah. this tai is a, is a really rare fish. And, and the Aura King salmon folks down in New Zealand only harvest five of them for the whole world at a time and uh we got one mm-hmm. and uh actually a guy um this guy named david who works for Ora King down in new orleans uh he's like one of only a couple i think Ora King employees in north america mm-hmm. and we chat sometimes and, and he reached out and was like do you want a tie and this was back in december i was like well i don't have a restaurant right now and um I don't really know how I feel about buying a $1,300 fish to do a pop-up with yeah. fish, but yeah, I'll take one. <laughs> um, mm. So we're doing it as a, as basically a menu takeover at Voyager. And I like, everything has been so up in the air. Um, Sean's got plenty of stuff going on right now. That's just kind of um, that he's navigating and, and, mm-hmm he's a champ. Like he's, he's gone through so much in like the past year. I, I can't even, uh, I have no room to like complain about anything being tough. Like mm. I, that guy is probably the, the, <laughs> the toughest dude I know for sure. Um, mm-hmm. for, for sticking through all of this. And, uh, so he's, uh, working at Voyager right now and uh, Eli the owner of Voyager was really generous to basically let us do a menu takeover with this fish and uh, so the idea is basically I, I've been dry aging it for the past five weeks and uh, yeah. cutting into it early next week and we're breaking it down into a bunch of different cuts um, not really filleting it just like you would normally cut a fish up Okay. Breaking it down more like you would do a, a hog or, or, or a cow even. Mm-hmm. And uh, just treating each respective cut in a way that makes sense for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the menu is just based around this one fish. Uh, pretty limited. And uh, something that most people have probably never experienced. And something that also is just going to be a one-off thing. You know, it's yeah. not a, it's not going to be a regular occurrence. It's not going to be a, uh, a thing that we're going to, you know, pull back out later in the year. It's just, it's one time and, and it kind of speaks a little bit to like, I don't know, like we've realized that with our pop-up, not, you know, sort of just being dormant for now, mm-hmm. just like, 
get after it while it's here, you know? So it's almost like we're kind of just trying to have that mindset about it of, uh, you know, let's really just do the most that we can with this one, with this one animal, you know, that's. Yeah. What was it like? I mean, I I saw you scaling the salmon and Mm -hmm. like how, like, was that pretty nerve wracking working with such a big and expensive fish and also like dry aging it (laughs) like what kind of things are you feeling when you're doing that um there's a lot it was mostly i was just like excited to finally um have my hands on it yeah um but at the same time yeah it's like if i go through the skin here while i'm scaling it like Mm -hmm. i might mess it up uh you know it gets to a point too where it's like you've done so many of them so mm-hmm. you you know handled so many fish or scaled so many fish yeah it's also like just becomes another piece of food mm-hmm. they're handling and so there was like a conscious effort on my part to like just like remember a little bit the whole time what i actually have in front of me um, yeah like how big of a deal it is mm-hmm. so it, i think it it was like a push and pull a little bit in that way so i'm really excited to actually cut into the fish though since uh yeah. all we've done so far is like scale it and hang it to age mm-hmm. so you feel pretty good about the aging process it's great it's going really well it's uh it's gonna be like a fish oil capsule when we cut into it it's just like yeah. that flesh is gonna be so rich so intense so it's gonna so be so the aura king salmon like is does a bigger salmon taste better? Not necessarily. Like, it can. So the the idea of the salmon being so big. 34 they, pounds. Yeah. Like they've identified like certain genes in their brood stock program, which is like where they, they breed all of the fish. Um, mm-hmm. And they have this crazy level of like genetic sequencing basically that they've gotten to over the past three plus decades. Mm-hmm. So the reason for that is it prevents inbreeding. So inbreeding is a huge problem for like salmon farming because you have basically just these mutant fish that Mm -hmm. have just bred with each other so many times that are genetically identical. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just a problem. And, and these guys, like their farm is based off of this program where every egg that they turn into a fish has been like fertilized from genetically different fish so it's not the same genetic diversity that you'd have in a wild population but mm-hmm. it simulates the gap of genetic diversity enough to not have inbreeding affect mm-hmm. the quality of the program um so each fish could potentially taste different maybe no no they taste the same um but it's they're genetically pure. different enough that they're not going to like have weird mutations Got because it. of inbreeding if that makes sense yeah yeah so less impurities yeah it's just uh like exactly so so that's really cool and, and through that process they basically identified like certain fish that have the potential to grow into these like tie fish which are these 30 plus pound fish <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and they do occur in the wild, like in the Campbell river and like British Columbia and stuff. Um, 
and they're just monsters. And so they've created kind of a separate environment to raise these fish that mm. simulates that kind of freshwater river uh, spring environment. And basically by letting them grow to about four years old instead of two years old, mm-hmm. um, they just are stronger fish and they eat a lot more of these like foods and and all of that flavor does get concentrated in the flesh. So it's not so much a size thing as much as it's like a slightly different environment that they let the fish grow up in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the fact that they just consume more tasty things throughout the, the period that they're alive. Um, yeah. And that all gets expressed through, through the, the eating experience of it. Have you always been um, into fish? Cause like you do the salmon bagels or like, you did the tuna sandwiches like is that your favorite protein or like um i would say fish is definitely something i've intentionally tried to focus on over the past couple years Mm -hmm. um i think it's i think it has huge potential to be the most sustainable protein Mm. um when done thoughtfully yeah um in, in terms of like fishing and, and like, you know, depending on the, the right, like aquaculture practices too. Um, but also it's like, I got to a point where I was like, I was over the, the meat thing, <laughs> like just working with so much meat at roast. Yeah. And the stuff that always interests me is the stuff that, I can do myself that you can't get commercially anywhere else. So Mm. for me, like at roast at first, it was like curing and like breaking down hogs and like making salamis and whole muscle charcuterie and salumi and things like Mm -hmm. that was fascinating to me. And I like learned a lot about it. And then once the pandemic hit, it was like, okay, we can't really do that anymore because well, even pre pandemic, it was like, you know, we were, we were slowing down a bit just because, keeping up at such a high, high production was like not super feasible. So we just weren't doing so much of it. And then the Mm -hmm. pandemic hit and it was definitely like a, it doesn't really make sense to have $4,000 worth of pig meat curing in a, in a, in an aging chamber. Um, Mm -hmm. That's, you know, that money's not coming back to us for months and Mm -hmm. we just don't have it to spare right now. Um, And so the fish is a faster turnaround and it's also just like, it has a, a huge potential to just be better for the world and like better for people than yeah. the crazy kind of meat consumption thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just so much you can do with it. Like when you start thinking about it differently than just like, cool, there's a s- skeleton with two fillets on it and that's <laughs> it. You know, like there's so much of the fish that, that can be used. Um, yeah. What were so some of the just, first ideas you had when, you knew you were going to have this Thai King in your possession. Um, the collars and then the tail. So that kind of like tail that looks like a ham or like a, a shank. Yeah. Is, is fascinating. Cause there's one of them per fish and that's just kind of cool when you're doing an event with it. Mm-hmm. One person's going to get this, you know? Yeah. Um, but 
you know, I, the collar was a cool thing too. Cause it's like, most people have, have ordered like a, like a Hamachi Kama or a yeah whatever, um, you know, and they're like, it's a collar. It's like this big mm-hmm. from right behind the gills. But then you get one from a 35 pound fish and it's the size of a dinner plate. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, so that's just, it's like, that kind of is fascinating to me because like nobody's ever eaten a fish collar that big basically. Yeah. Um, like that's a whole meal. And uh, so those two things, you know, and also I think they're cool because they're, they're cuts that are just taken right off the fish. They haven't mm-hmm. been manipulated or sliced up or, or done much to. And so you can look at it and sort of extrapolate like just the sheer size of a fish like that from yeah. this one part. Um, even if you don't really know much about like, you know, how fish are built or like how <laughs> fish are anatomically, or if you've never filleted a fish before, like you can look mm-hmm. at that. And if you, as long as you know where it comes from on the fish, yeah. you'd be like, that was a monster, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of cool for that reason. And, and it, and it fascinates me too, to like, have that mix of serving things as they came off the fish, mm-hmm. but also repurposing things into something where the fish is more of a like seasoning or a, a flavoring to a dish than it is what the main thing that you're eating is. Mm-hmm. So there's just a lot of uh, ground to cover and a lot of ground that we're trying to cover with this menu. So, yeah. Like what's your inspiration behind this menu? Um, for us, it was mostly the fish itself, just because it's like such a hard thing to get hold of. Mm-hmm. And because of that, we wanted to reflect that. Um, in A, like there are going to be things where you only get, there's only one order of it available. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the same time, like we're being very intentional about the flavors that were, that were kind of putting on plates and the way that we're cooking things and the way that we're physically cutting the fish into pieces. Um, Mm -hmm. And so the kind of expression, like you, you mentioned earlier, like a lot of these flavors are pretty direct, um, pretty directly from like Japanese cooking and dishes. Mm -hmm. That was more of like a thing that just was born out of like, trying to fully express just like how rare and how um, just like how crazy it is to actually have a chance to work with this one fish and, and not squander like any bit of it, you know, and like just really like respect the entire process that happened before we even got the fish, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I hope it comes across when, when people eat this food, but I think when they see it, they're going to be like, damn, this is, I can't believe how big this, <laughs> or especially like the, the salmon chop or the loin chop. Yeah. Or something like, yeah, exactly. Just thinking about that is like, after seeing the, the salmon, like it made a lot of sense why you would do that. Yeah. You know? Right. And like, that's very exciting. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah it's like I'm getting to a point where I'm like the 
the kid the day before the field trip, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, can't sleep. I'm like thinking about this fish, like so excited to cut into it. And this, you know, have you done the shank before with a different, like a smaller fish or smaller salmon? fish? Yeah. And, and just like, um, you know, they, they cook fast and you can like cook it right in a pan or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, but it'll be cool to serve it as like a large format. Um, cause yeah. I mean, it's going to serve four people. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, you know, take it home, share it with your family. The one person who gets it, I don't know who it's going to be, <laughs> but yeah, but there will be, there will be tables available for dining too, if people are comfortable with it. Um, mm-hmm. since Voyager will be, um, Voyager is open for dining. So, yeah. Are you making anything on this menu that you've never served before? I've never done a nabe with fish. Mm. So that'll be interesting. Um, Are you going to, is that going to be for here or like dine-in only then for the nabe? Um, we will be able to do it to go if people want it. Uh huh. But it'll be a thing where like, you're going to have to heat this up at home, the broth. Yeah. So um, if you eat it in the dining room, it'll come with like the little butane burner. Cool. So yeah, hot pot. Exactly. Butane burner, plate of all the stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's exciting. Um, yep. What dish are you, is like a highlight for you on this menu? Um, oh, God. <laughs> the crudo that we're doing is really interesting. Um, curing it like just just a little bit with like some green tea toasted rice and bergamot and then mm-hmm. uh those same kind of flavors on the plate and mm-hmm. uh it's just so good with like that oily fish um so i'm really excited for that just to kind of be a more like pure like expression of the the raw fish itself but i'm also really excited about those collars like the grilled yeah. you know it's gonna really be awesome. simply prepared, you know. So those are kind of the two things that we wanted to be the cleanest and most straightforward expression of what we're serving you. Yeah. You know, one version is raw and one version is cooked. Um, mm-hmm. So that'll be amazing to like see physically hit a plate. Yeah. So the the takeover is next Thursday at yep. four p.m. 4 p.m. start uh, the 11th. Yeah, so it's... On the 11th. How do people right. order the food or like how do, I don't know, information-wise, like how can people... Yeah, so Voyager, Voyager themselves just made a post about it, I'm pretty sure. And then okay. uh, also basically through their website or through their like Instagram bio or however mm-hmm. you, you go and reserve through Voyager, however you want to do that. You can reserve to, to sit down and order from the menu. It's first mm-hmm. come, first serve, though. So if you want to have the biggest, so like like I said, everything is pretty limited. If you want to have the biggest selection of, uh, you know, what to order and, and not walk in and half the menu has been sold out already, um, mm-hmm. try and book earlier. Um, but that being said, that you'll also be able to call in and order. So call in an order for like a carryout. Um, if you cool. don't feel comfortable dining in, I, we really tried hard to make this, make every dish available in a to go or for dine in format. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, basically first come first serve is the bottom line though. And uh, so the orders start at 4 p.m. Yeah, we're, we're, we're setting up something so that if you pre-order before that, mm-hmm. we can do it. Um, okay. But we may not have some of the things that are like, you know, a one-time thing available for a pre-order. Sure. So like the, the shank, like from the tail, things like that. If someone wants to order it for a carryout <laughs> and they beat the person who has the first reservation to the phone, mm. it, it's going to go to the first person that asks for it once we're open. Um, yeah. So it's a little bit of a fire sale kind of thing. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a, a crazy event, but uh, I'm really excited to, to cook this fish. Yeah, dude, I'm so and to excited. Not this fish, <laughs> since there'll be plenty <laughs> and of raw eat dishes. It, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, have you eaten a Thai, like a Thai Thai king sa- salmon? I've tasted it a couple times. Um, yeah. Pr- so Prime and Proper's gotten like a couple of them in. Okay. And just like kind of being being friends with those guys over there too. Like, uh, I've I've like tasted a couple slices of it, and that's it. Um, gotcha. Never dry aged. I've never tasted it aged. Mm. So really looking forward to it. Yeah. It's going to be a, it's going to be a mega event. Yeah. Extra large. It's going to be, yeah, I'm really excited for you guys and congratulations yeah. on it's gonna be a blast. even nailing one of these big boys. Um, cool. So I'm going to put some information down in the bio about like cool. put some links down for the event. Um, awesome. But before we conclude this, I want to ask a few quick fire questions okay. that are just more about your personality and maybe like think your things, how you feel about food and stuff. So okay, sure. hard topics, but you know, just answer the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. Um, <laughs> when you're on a plane, uh, do you order the beef, chicken, or fish option? Probably chicken. Is there um, <laughs> the best airplane meal you've ever had or like something you had on an airplane that you really like? Was there, oh, um, the, like the best airplane food? Yeah. It was definitely the best, the best airplane food was for sure on a Air France flight into Paris out of Boston. Wow. There was to like Paris. Some, okay, cool. Yeah, there was like, yeah, because it was an Air France flight. Um, yeah. Uh there was like the meal overall was pretty bad Mm -hmm. because airplane food just kind of sucks in general. Sure. But they gave this little like triangle like this big (laughs) of uh, this like soft, like camembert cheese. Wow. That's nice. Like you don't get that on most flights. Yeah. Um, When I flew to Japan, I don't know if it was this last trip, but like, you know, they just have like snacks available. Okay. They have mini like cup noodle in like cups that you can just okay. order as many as you want. It was awesome. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But yeah, that does not sound as good as the camembert cheese for sure. Yeah. If there was noodles on every flight though, I'd for sure get that. Yeah. I've had stuffed, I've had stuffed shells once on a um flight once. That okay. was awesome. Um, okay, what's your favorite raw vegetable? 
Hmm. Um, I think definitely cucumbers or uh, oh. oh man, if there's like a like a veggie plate that yeah. sticks or whatever, what's the one that you're going for first? It's the, it's the cucumbers or the bell peppers. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. I don't like yeah. either one as much. I do like uh, I do like raw onions on things, okay. like in salads or on sandwiches. Thick um, or thin? Generally thin when they're on stuff. Mm-hmm. Like a like, I'd rather have a lot of thin slices than one big slice. One big crunchy. You know? Yeah. 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 Raw onion is hard for me. Like I I loved how you yeah like did like a micro dicing of it for the tuna sandwiches okay like the red onion like Mm -hmm. that was awesome yeah it just is a seasoning at that point exactly yeah um what's your what's the best pizza topping Ooh. um red pizzas i really like either anything pickled or Mm. um like a good like oil packed anchovy Mm. But do you like on, white pizza? Huh? I do like white pizza. But for a red pizza, those are my two favorites. And the anchovy Whoa. has to be put on after the pizza is cooked. Oh, right. So it doesn't like get overly fishy in the oven. So mm-hmm. it just like melts almost like prosciutto would. Yeah. Um, for white pizza, definitely my favorite topping is like a little bit of roasted, like char- slightly charred broccoli. Mm. Yeah. That's that good. so good. Um, if you had to co-host a cooking show with a celebrity chef, mm. <laughs> who would that be? Um, celebrity chef. Oh God. I don't even, I'm like, who, what does a celebrity chef even mean these days? I guess like a TV chef. Yeah. Um, I would do you probably, watch like TV like food I TV don't, shows? I don't at all. I have like no concept <laughs> of TV chefs. I like I know the concept of TV chefs, but I can't recall other than like meme TV chefs. Yeah, because like there's like Gordon Ramsay, like Guy Fieri, like stuff mm-hmm. like that. But okay, probably, out of Guy Fieri or Gordon would, Ramsay. So I would probably have to say like Chef Morimoto though. Oh because, yeah, because like I, I don't like. I wouldn't be co-hosting like he'd just be flexing on me the whole time, but I want that. Yeah. You know? So I mean, just like not I, even speaking or making eye contact to me, he'd just be like cooking circles around me. Just watching him cook next to it. you would be the best part. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So just for the, to say that I was there. Yeah. Court deli and iron chef Morimoto. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Oh my God. Um, probably uh, still cooking um, mm. somewhere else though. I'd love to, I'd love to get out there and, and cook in either Toronto or like San Francisco. Um, and I also want to like travel for the purpose of cooking, like, overseas a little bit you know and it's just i haven't had a chance to do that yet and uh i hope that i've either already done it or i'm doing it at that point cool where where's the one place 
that you want to go first or if you can go anywhere. So like if I was traveling overseas, like somewhere not here, I want to like work on a fishing boat cool. somewhere in France or Spain. Uh-huh. It's like not so much cooking, but still just like adjacent. Um, yeah, yeah. Maybe cook, but like I don't have they're cooking enough, on the fishing boat, you know. Yeah, I don't have a good enough grasp on the language at this point to be able to like hold my own in the kitchen doing anything other than like slicing onions or something. <laughs> um but otherwise I there's like so much potential in either like like I said, Toronto or like San Francisco for like food, food centered, you know, things. Yeah. Um, it's just like, which do I go? Where do I go? You know, it's like, do I want to deal with Michigan winners, but worse? Mm-hmm. Or do I want like, you know, the, the land of like, it's always beautiful weather. Mm. Yeah. So. That's cool. Um, all right. Finish the sentence. Uh, Every good restaurant has soup. That's the identifying mark of a good restaurant, the soup. Good soup. Yeah. If a restaurant doesn't have soup, it's not like a deal breaker, Mm -hmm. but a good restaurant has good soup. Yeah. If they have soup, it's good. For sure. I think I I kind of agree. Like that kind of sets the bar or the tone for the restaurant if they're, how their soup is. Yeah. If they're just throwing something together, that's not very good. Then they're not paying attention to the details. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I always remember like my mom would be like, yo, this place has like shitty miso soup. The food's going to be whack. Yeah, especially when it's something as simple as miso soup. Exactly. So, um, okay, soup. Do you have a favorite soup? Um, I love miso soup, man. (laughs) um, You like it with like the clams and stuff inside, or just like like, like little pieces of mushroom? Mm. tofu like cockles like whatever um yeah it's all good yeah. but uh otherwise my second favorite is probably like just a good like any kind of like super smooth like velvety vegetable mm. soup either like mushroom or carrot or like Yum. something like that that's just like got good olive oil or if it's like winter like butter is fine which mm-hmm. just like emulsified into it you know so yeah, the tomato soup you made with the grilled cheese was so good yeah that was that's fun. like that was fun that's yeah that was so good okay yeah. what's your favorite grilled skewer um probably uh anything with like squid tentacles because they get like crispy Mm -hmm. but they're still chewy you know squid tentacles okay like veggies and squid tentacles or like anything like that Mm -hmm. that's just a texture i'm a big fan of like chewy somewhat crunchy somewhat crispy like like some of the cartilage and like depending on like the yakitori skewers you Mm -hmm. know so that that texture is what i want yeah is it just with salt or do you have like a, a sauce on it either or it's like about <laughs> like eat like grilling food on skewers to me is about the texture so that's like mm. the number one thing i pay attention to you know it's yeah. like you can't get that with any other cooking method mm-hmm. truly 
Um, what's your guiltiest pleasure food? Um, oh God. Um, like a, like probably like pickled stuff and spam over rice for like breakfast. Yeah. Because it's grilled spam. Yeah, because it's just like one of those things where it's like I don't have any like f- anything fresh right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always have rice in the pantry. I always have delis of pickles in the fridge, <laughs> and like usually a lot of the time there'll be like a a can of you know. So it's just like I don't feel good about this. I don't feel good after I eat this, but I'm like looking forward to it. No, like anyway, and it's like that's when it's like cool i'm like gonna have this for breakfast and then go grocery shopping Mm -hmm. um so it's yeah it's i don't know i don't i also at the same time don't really believe in guilty pleasures like if Mm. but that would be the one where it's like i guess guilty i can't believe i'm doing this like you know like your favorite processed food i guess would be like yeah guilty i see what you're yeah Uh, store-bought yes, beef yeah. store-bought beef jerky sometimes does it for me though mm, you know? like slim jim kind of beef jerky no like the like the solid meat stuff oh yeah yeah slim jims are just like eating oil to me but it's gross but sometimes like the you know just like this the, the it's like if you want a seven dollar snack <laughs> you know like um yeah and, it's, and usually it's just like this you know my first impression of like tasting it is like this used to taste way better when i was a kid yeah um, but it still like hits the spot like it it scratches the itch in in a weird kind of way mm-hmm. so or like the beef jerky that's in like these containers that you just kind of pull out and they look like fruit leather okay like just yeah. the, the flat thin ones like the costco kind of thing <laughs> yeah um what's your favorite flavor in food like i guess spicy or sour acid yeah or like i love um i love like acid and things um so i've like kind of come away from like seasoning things super aggressively Mm -hmm. with with like salt um like i want it to be balanced but i don't want it to be like just on the edge of almost being too salty anymore sure um but I definitely want the acid. I want like that bright kind of thing to come through, especially in between like bites, like yeah. whether I'm eating it or whether I'm cooking it for someone else. I think it's really important. And I think that a lot of food just needs acid, you know? Yeah. But I do love spicy food. You know, I love like anything super, super like savory umami, you know, mm. but I think acid is my favorite one to like play with, like, you know, especially when you can like put acidity in something that people aren't expecting, mm-hmm. like our our crust that we put on our like roasted lamb at, mm-hmm. at the restaurant right now, is ground up dried shrimp with like citric acid powder. Whoa! And so it's like this super salt, like salty, savory, kind of sweet because shrimp are sweet, mm-hmm. but then it's got this like slight acidity that you're not expecting paired with like this roasted crust on meat you know mm-hmm. so um yeah that's awesome i love also like spicy and acidic together you know 
Um, that's hot sauce, man. Yeah. Or like chili and lime. Like that's mm-hmm. so bomb. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. What's your favorite meal? If you're like appetizer, starter, entree, dessert, salad. Um, I'm a big fan of just doing the like order everything the app that order everything or the like make a meal out of smaller like appetizer size things too yeah because you can get like a broader range of things that way but uh it's definitely like usually where the where the fun playful stuff is so Mm. um so i like that i'm not i'm not the biggest dessert person um but when i have a really good dessert it definitely leaves more of an impression on me than a really good savory course does just because mm-hmm. it's never the thing I'm looking forward to. So yeah. if it wows me, it, it's like, it gets a couple extra points for that. Cool. So like a pastry dessert or ice cream cake, any of it definitely like ice cream is a great, people pleaser dessert and like ice good ice cream is good ice cream mm-hmm. but i think no matter the dessert like if it leaves an impression on me like i'm gonna i'm gonna remember it and it's gonna be a standout thing that i like tell people about yeah so cool what's the what's the best restaurant you've ever eaten at um oh god swan oyster depot where's that San Francisco. Um, it's like, imagine Dooley's, <laughs> but instead of it being a Coney Island, it's like a seafood raw bar. Wow. Cool. Like family run generations type of thing. Mm-hmm. Like arm marks on the counter from the just sheer number of people that have sat in that spot wow. over the years. Cool. And you just like order oysters and crab and like raw fish. Damn, that sounds amazing. It's so sick. Um, yeah, that's the favorite. And they make uh, they make their they prepare like their own horseradish, mm. like from fresh horseradish root, and preserve it in vinegar and salt. And it's like the hottest horseradish I've ever had in my life. It's so spicy. Damn, perfect with shrimp. That sounds so good. So. Cool, man. Well, thank you so much. Um, I really enjoyed chatting with you and yeah, I'm really course. stoked for this Same takeover. Um, let's promote the hell out of this thing and totally. sell out. And yeah, congratulations again. Thanks, man. Feels good. I'm happy to be on the show. So yeah, I'm really also proud of how much you were able to like do and accomplish throughout this pandemic because it's been hard and um, yeah. You're doing it. You're doing a great job with it. Thanks. Yeah, appreciate man. that. Of course. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into episode 12 of the Hard Conversations podcast, a Hard Gallery production. Again, I'd like to thank John for chatting with me today. Every first Sunday of the month, he's chefing his bagels at Milwaukee Cafe. This Sunday, he is whipping up the beat maker and Aura King salmon on bagels. Full menu and description is on his Instagram at Quart Deli. Q U A R T. D-E-L-I. 
John and his partner Sean, who make up Pariah, are preparing this incredible one-night-only culinary event called the Thai Takeover at Voyager in Ferndale, Michigan. Next Thursday at 4 p.m. is when the event pops off. This 35-pound beast of a Thai Aura King salmon is yielding roughly 50 servings, so be sure to reserve your spot. It is a first-come, first-served situation. Go to Voyager underscore Ferndale, V-O-Y-A-G-E-R underscore F-E-R-N-D-A-L-E on Instagram and make your reservation at the link in their bio. Also be sure to follow Pariah at P-A-R-I-A-H dot dining for this menu as well as their upcoming events. Again, I'd like to thank the sponsors Casamara Club, Cold Truth and Astro Coffee and Huddle Soft Serve. Their frozen custard is back. You can also find all the updated information related to Hard Gallery on Instagram at Hard Gallery or on the website www.hardgallery.art. The design section of the website has been updated, so if you're interested in graphic design or creative direction, please send an email to hardgallerydetroit at gmail.com. Hard Gallery merchandise is still for sale at the Farmer Street Market curated by Playground Detroit. You can make an appointment for a visit or go on their website at shop.playgrounddetroit.com for more information. They are open Thursday through Sunday. There are many artists who Hard Gallery has represented in the past selling their artwork there as well. If you're interested in donating towards the podcast or the gallery or seeking sponsorship opportunities, please send an email to hardgallerydetroit at gmail.com. Please be safe. Respect the well-being and health of others. Get vaccinated if you qualify. Spend some time in nature and go hard in your endeavors. Peace. Peace.